Hi, this is your co-host, Austin. As the producer and engineer of Helen High Horror, I always strive to bring you, the listeners, the best sound quality possible. This means that while editing every episode of Helen High Horror, I need headphones that deliver clear, balanced sound. That's one reason why I use Studio headphones. Studio's on-ear Regent model delivers the clarity and balanced sound that I need when listening to audio. These headphones work completely wirelessly. They connect to any device with Bluetooth, but they can also be connected to a standard auxiliary cord. Studio offers several different earbud models as well, and right now, you can use the code HIGHHORROR, H-I-G-H-H-O-R-R-O-R, to get 15% off any purchase with free shipping worldwide. Go to studio.com, S-U-D-I-O.com to use the code HIGHHORROR and get 15% off your pair of headphones now. This audio program may contain descriptions of violence and topics that may not be suitable for everyone. Please listen with caution. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. They say that watching a horror movie burns like some crazy amount of calories. Because it gets a good horror movie, yeah, because their heart rate just goes up. Uh huh. I can imagine. So my dad says watching the Purge movies are his workout. I can't watch. I've only seen like half of the first one and then I was like, I'm out. I can't really? Same with this last season of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. I saw the first episode and I think it's a good idea, but it got me so anxious that I was like, I can't watch the rest. Really? Yeah. I I watch most of it, but I want to finish it. Yeah. You know? Like the first episode where he puts Cheetos on his face. Yes. Oh, just that moment I was like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I don't know why that That's in and of itself you. was like what got me. I was like, because oh. just imagine the texture of putting Cheetos, Cheetos on, on your, your face. face. Like he must have really wanted those Cheetos. Oh. Yeah. It's just, oh. Such a waste of food. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could still lick them off, I guess. <laughs> Delicious Cheetos that I can't have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor thing. I know. Um. So today, yes, we're back to paranormal. Yes. Paranormal shit. Mm-hmm. Mine's um, a little bit of both. A little from column A and a little from column mine B. Mine too. We have a nice little mix. Yeah. Um. We're talking about some notable psychics. Yes. And I. Have gone to a certain psychic twice. Mm-hmm. Was it good? It was great. Was it? It wasn't a one-on-one. Was it, um, call me now. No, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, her name is Suzanne Northrup. Okay. She's out of New York City, but she does, like, little tours. She's not cheap. Okay. But she's really good. Well, I mean, the only psychic I've been to is the $5 ones at the beach. Mm-hmm. And all they're going to tell you is... I see. You're going to say, you know, my love life's really troublesome. And she's going to say, I see it turning better. Yes. Follow your heart. And it's like, you know, like you paid really $5 for shit. it. Yeah. I see. So you paid $5 for it. Yeah. Like you're going to get $5 for it. Exactly. And so I actually, so the first time I went to Suzanne Northrop was at Canyon Ranch. And for those who don't know. That's in Montana. There's a bunch of different ones. It's like a chain. Gotcha. But it's mainly for old people. Mm-hmm. 
but my parents and my grandparents love it. So they dragged me and made me go. Um, and it's basically just like a resort, but there's constantly physical activity going on Oof. and you could go to different classes. And like, let's do yoga at exactly. sunrise. Shit like that. No, I'd rather be in bed at sunrise. Thank you. <laughs> like they have their own dining room where you mm-hmm. can go and get food, but there's no salt in sight. Well, like I don't it's, like salt, so that sounds like a dream to me. Well, everything without salt in it, like cooked without salt too, it's not great. I mean, the food is prepared really well, but it's all like really healthy. So I went to one of her seminars at Canyon Ranch. With my suitcase just filled with gummy worms and chocolate. I mean, good call, good call. <laughs> yes. Um, you should have just filled it with salt. <laughs> yeah, right. one salt packets. My dad brings salt packets. You could have just sold them to people in the dining room. <laughs> like a Give dealer. me a dollar for yeah. the salt. <laughs> so I went and saw her there, and I thought she was incredible. Hmm. Uh, she didn't see anyone for me because I don't know that many dead people. Yeah. You know? And there were, like, other people with, like, kids who died and shit like that. But I took my ex-boyfriend to go see her. And he has a lot of dead people. And he had one, his uncle, who he was still very much upset about uh, a few years later. And we went there. And it's, like, a room of maybe 50 people. And she's just, like, seeing people. And it's like, okay... Whose person is this person? You know? And she's like, there's a a guy over here who won't shut up. And she describes him. And my boyfriend's like, oh, my God, that's my uncle. And he's like, I think that's mine. And she's like, okay, well, you know, he says this and this. I forget what the fuck she said about him. But she's like, oh, and he has this thing with him. It's a motorcycle. And it's like blue but like kind of a turquoise-ish blue and he's like oh my god that's his motorcycle like it was crazy reminds me of the long island media yeah a little bit yeah yeah (laughs) but real (laughs) yeah it's i mean she's absolutely fantastic Mm. in her seminar she explains certain things that you know dead people they stick around because of love because they love you and that's why they hang around. Gotcha. Um, what was I <laughs> So. Uh, it's so complicated. My grandpa's not here. Because <laughs> that old man had no love in his oh, no. Well, no. I'm sure he loved us. He did yes. not love anyone else. <laughs> and they kind of stick together. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the first room I was in with everyone, it was a very small group. It was, like, 15 people. There was a mother who had lost her son really oh. young. And then there was a couple who had lost their daughter really young. That's so sad. And she was like, they came together. They came here today together. Mm. Like, they That's found cute. each other yeah. because you guys came together. Mm-hmm. And now they have a bond. That's so cute. Yeah. And Aww. and she said something. Lots ghosts. Yeah. And she said something about the son. Out of nowhere, she goes, he wants to know why you don't garden anymore. And the mother burst into tears sad. because they used to garden together. Because you're dead, you idiot. Oh, stupid <laughs> Get it together. There's a reason. <laughs> Come on, put one and one together. Yeah. You can do it. And she says that spirits send subtle messages. Mm-hmm. If you see something that kind of reminds you of someone, it's on purpose. I So that's so weird mm-hmm. you said that. So... 
when I'm at work in the morning, sometimes yeah. I'm grumpy a lot of times. Because, you know, I get up at five in the morning. So yes. And normally when I'm with him, when I'm with Gray, the boy, I'm not grumpy because he cheers me up. But, like, right in the morning when I'm cooking, you know, I'm just, like, looking out the windows. I'm like, oh, kill me. I wish I was in bed. <laughs> and a lot of times I see they have a bush outside. It's a dead bush. But there's robins in the bush. Mm-hmm. And that was my grandmother's favorite bird. And it's so weird. And every time they're in there, Gray comes in and he goes, look, a robin. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's so weird that they would go to that But There's only like two of them, but it's weird that they'd go to that bush yeah. that's dead. Out of all the living trees and foliage mm-hmm. around them, that's the one See, bush. that sounds like a sign. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. And then I always tell him. And he goes, I know, I know. It's your grandma. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. <laughs> See, it's stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more, and it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And I'm just laying out. Uh, but I recommend you, everyone, check her out. Like, if you just Google her name, it's S U Z A N E Northrup. And she was actually part of this big study mm-hmm. in the 90s, I think, where they took a bunch of psychics and they monitored their brain waves. Was Raven Simone in there? No. (laughs) And they did, like, readings for these people who had been through traumatic stuff. Like, this one woman, literally everyone died in her family. So they measured their brain waves and found that there was, like, some unique brain activity and, like, no way they could fake it. Mm -hmm. It's very weird, but... It's all on YouTube. I know what you're talking about. Yes. I have, because I've brought up that study when my family's like, psychics aren't real. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look at the brain waves. Yes. They ha- their brains work differently, and like mm-hmm. they work differently when they're channeling versus when they're not channeling, and they have like different brain, like all the colored stuff. Like I've seen those maps where it's yes. like the color. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so cool. Yeah, exactly. And, and at, you know, I do my witchcraft stuff, which mm-hmm. involves divination and psychic stuff and all that. And I am unfortunately not one of those people. I only have very, very mild psychic tendencies. Yeah. Although every time anyone ever mentions the word divination, all I think is that stick thing where you take the two sticks and you walk outside and then the, they, they cross <laughs> really? eventually. Even though, like, that's not really it. But no. I think that technically starts... I, I don't know what the technical word for that is, but I think it starts with a D. Uh-huh. So now every why. time everyone says divination, I'm like, ah, oh, the stick thing. The stick right. thing. Right. <laughs> it's like tarot cards. Yes, yes. Yes. But the only psychic, like clear psychic experience I've ever had was I was driving with my friend Shay. Mm-hmm. And oh, her baby. Yes. And uh, she she just told me she was pregnant. And all of a sudden I had like this flash and I don't know how it's not really like explainable. It wasn't a picture. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an auditory thing. It was just like knowledge was injected into my brain and I was like, oh, it's a girl. And then it was a girl. And then it was a girl. Yeah. That's the only time anything like that has ever happened to me. I'm fairly ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too, unfortunately. I like to think. My... Nephew can see ghosts. I'm like fairly sure. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he can still see ghosts. When he was little, he could see ghosts a hundred percent. Little kids are yeah. more little and, kids and animals. And he's autistic, which some people say that people with like mental handicaps because they don't understand that ghosts are such a like people aren't like ghosts aren't real. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they have more of a belief in it. They can accept it more. So yeah. some people say that that's like sometimes p- people with mental handicaps 
are able to see. Yeah. It well, more. The, and they don't they have, have those like, like those rigid. Um, oh, this isn't real. Like, right. D- disbelief. They're just like this is what, into them. It's yeah. the same reason kids can basically. Yeah. But so he had both. He was a child, and so he would like point out things all the time, or he would talk to what you would think were imaginary friends, but then he'd describe them. Well, he has a button-up shirt, but the bottom button's buttoned weird, and he won't let me fix it. He says he likes it like that. So the top of it's crooked. Like like, really like a four-year-old's not going to be like, yeah, the, his shirt is crooked. You know, he's just going to be like, it's, you know, my, when I had imaginary friends, they were all like Scooby-Doo characters. <laughs> it's like, it's definitely not Velma. But mm-hmm. it was Velma. <laughs> and Daphne. And Scooby, of course. All of them. <laughs> all of them were there. I mean, Fred, he could be whatever. No one cares about Take Fred. care or leave Fred. He's the leader. He's important, but I don't want to like hang out with Fred. No, you know? no one wants to. Yeah. <laughs> so these psychics that we're talking about are full on. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are unexplainable phenomenon. They are phenomenon. I believe you go first. Yeah, I think so. I found all of my information. So I was gonna do this one guy Chip, but then there wasn't enough information on him. So then. I watched this show. So there's a show, Psychic Investigators, and then there's the show, Psychic Detectives. And I watched the show, Psychic Detectives. So I was like, I'm going to do, and I don't want to give anything away, so I won't say what the case was now, but I was, I thought this episode was a different case until Mm -hmm. I got to the very end, and I was like, no, it's not that case. But I couldn't find that case, Uh so, because this is on, I believe it's on True TV. But they don't really play it a whole lot anymore, and it's not on demand anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the only seasons you can buy, even to buy them, are like the fifth and sixth season. And the episode that I wanted to do was in the second season. Oh, and then okay. so I was like, well, fuck, I, like I couldn't even find it to buy. I was like, mm-hmm. I will buy the episode for a dollar ninety nine, but it's never, it's nowhere. Mm-hmm. I can't find it. So this case is about twenty seven year old Andre. Deagle, which is spelled D-E-I-G-L. Doesn't seem like it'd be Deagle, but it's Deagle. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So one evening, Andre and his friend Nick Shelley went to a bar called The Lounge to play pool. And I'm not really sure where this takes place. They don't say it in the episode. And when I looked it up, oh, you know what? New Orleans. But they only say it once. So like I I got very confused. But Mm -hmm. yes, so New Orleans. New Orleans? New Orleans. New Orleans. (laughs) Louisiana. So, uh, I love a Louisiana accent. Oh, God. Because it kind of sounds like, um, just like uh, a lot of men from the South, from like New Orleans and Mississippi, Mm -hmm. have the tendency to sound more feminine, but with like a deep Southern voice. Like, but that's just Uh, how the accent is. Yeah, I kind of get that. You know? So, I went to high school in the South for a year, and there was a man from... Not a man, a boy, I don't know, teenager mm. from Mississippi. And everyone was like, well, he's gay. He looks into his voice. But, like, everyone from that area he's from sounds like that. It's just, like, very, it's almost formal. Mm-hmm. And so because they're like, oh, my dear. Like, yeah. like it's stuff like that where it's like he's a very low voice. But he's like, oh, my lanta, what are we going to do today? Oh, and yeah, it's like, it's like you a... know, it's like that kind of voice mm-hmm. where, like, I feel like most places people wouldn't be like, well, then he's gay. But in deep Alabama they're like he must be gay listen to that voice Mm -hmm. so it's like in the um Gypsy Rose Blanchard Uh um documentary where 
they all sound like they have just a wad of gum in their mouth. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I love a New Orleans accent. Yeah. Ooh, it's so good. So he was a single guy. No word on Nick Shelley. Sorry, Nick. I don't know if you're single or not. So they went to play pool and they were drinking. And eventually he goes up and talks to some girl at the bar. Mm-hmm. It's very, very pretty. And he asks to buy her a drink, and she says yes, and they talk for a little bit. And then he goes back to Nick, and they play some more pool, and then he goes back. Like, she's just sitting at the bar alone. Mm -hmm. He'll buy her another drink and then go back, and that kind of continues. And then after a while, he's like, oh, hey, just, like, I'm going to leave, so nice meeting you, whatever. And she's like, oh, well, can I get a ride? Like, I don't have a ride. I've drank more than I was supposed to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah. So they leave in his black truck, but Andre doesn't return home that mm-hmm. night and in the morning his mother calls 911 and is like this is so like it's really strange he's not at work he's always at work and he's not returning any calls i can't get a hold of him i think he's missing mm-hmm. and she speaks to someone his name is captain gallagher well his no. name is gallagher his no. title is captain <laughs> of the police first okay <laughs> not his name is captain although his name is captain down south they do have names i know well we know someone named major yes but my god yeah is named major but down south it's like real popular for people to be named major mm-hmm. which is like it's not a bad name it's just odd that that's also a title someone can have yeah and it'd it's be not... like someone named doctor why wouldn't she give them a higher yeah <laughs> higher title lieutenant <laughs> yes so gallagher's fairly sure that he probably just went home drunk with this lady and, like, lost track of time, yeah, fell asleep, out. whatever. But he does go to the bar that he's last seen at, the mm-hmm. lounge, and just asks around and looks around. And there's no, like, sign of foul play. There's no broken glass or anything that might indicate, like, a scuffle in the parking lot. Nothing. Mm-hmm. He just kind of waits. He's like, it's kind of a waiting game at this point. But he feels like they must hear from him by the end of the day. But at the end of the day, there's still no word from Andre. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Gallagher looks into this lady And he goes back to the bar and the bartender's like, well, she's really, really pretty. I could definitely pick her out from like a lineup or if she comes back. But I don't know her name. She paid, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. We we can't find her. So he gives the bartender his card and he's like, just call me if you ever see her again and I'll come down and I'll ask her questions. And then he formally launches a massive search for Andre in the New Orleans area. But the search comes up empty. They search fields and open lots and anywhere you'd, you know, they knock on doors and like near the bar. They're like, have you seen him? Did you hear anything? But no one's heard anything. So three days pass without anything. No sighting from this girl. So the family calls psychic Rosemarie Kerr, K-E-R-R, mm-hmm. who has worked for over 30 years with law enforcement. And she uses something called psychometry, which is the technical term for when a psychic uses a photo Mm -hmm. um, to feel emotions through touching it because she is not in New Orleans. Okay. So So she's doing this remotely. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the family sends her a picture of Andre and then a map of the area. Mm -hmm. And when she touches the photo, she automatically starts to feel emotions. And in this episode, she's like, normally when I touch a photo, whether the person's living or not, I can feel their most recent emotions. So I can feel love or happiness or franticness. So she touches the photo and she feels like she's in danger and she feels a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Like I need to get out of here or or I won't be able to survive. She opens the map next Mm -hmm. and she touches it and she calls the family and she tells them, you need to go to this specific place right now Mm -hmm. or something bad's going to happen. In the episode, when they reenact it, 
great reenactments. <laughs> it's like the box is being built around him, like an old crate that you would think of to like hold animals, you know, uh-huh. that are always like danger in like the movies. It's that kind mm-hmm. of crate with just four by fours together and he's like banging on it. Oh. And she keeps seeing gators and the swamp border railroad tracks too keep popping up. Mm-hmm. So the family immediately, the brothers, his two brothers, hop in a car and they go to where she says to go. And it's a town called Sidel. And Sidel is a suburb right outside of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But none of the family, including Andre, have any ties to it. But they go there because she tells them to. And right as they're leaving the ramp to Sidel off the highway, they see a black truck pass them. Mm-hmm. And it's Andre's truck. But they don't see Andre driving it. They pull up. And two men in the truck look over, and I guess they can sense something's wrong because they speed up, mm. and they, they speed away. So the two brothers beat after them, yeah. and they start chasing them, and they manage to flag down a cop. Mm-hmm. And so it's the cop chasing the brothers who are chasing these two men. Yeah. And eventually the men turn into a dead end. Uh-huh. And so they get out of the car, and they give it up. But technically the cops can only charge them with possession of a stolen vehicle at this point yeah andre's not in the truck they search forensics because the men are like we're not talking we Mm -hmm. found the truck we took it it's stolen sorry so they search the truck there's no blood no anything no scratches or broken glass or anything and then they search these two men's apartments and the men's names are charles Gervais, Gervais, and Michael Phillips. And they search their apartment because they live together and there's nothing there either. No blood stains, no evidence of a cleanup, anything. So do they continue going to the spot? No. So that's it. So they tell the psychic, we found a truck. We found their truck, Uh right? And we have some people in custody, but Mm -hmm. we haven't found Andre yet. Because they can't find anything, the police are like, maybe they did just steal this truck. But Mm -hmm. it seems weird. And the police go back on TV. Gallagher goes back on TV. And the woman in the bar calls him the next day and is mm-hmm. like, that girl's here again. <gasps> and the text is like, yes, this is our big break. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he questions the girl. And she's like, I was working that night. And it turns out it's just the wrong girl. Oh. And he's like, fuck. Yeah. So he ends up calling the psychic mm-hmm. and himself and is like, you're the only chance we have. You're the only thing that's brought us a lead in this case. Can you please help us? Mm-hmm. So he actually flies her into New Orleans. He brings her to the lounge, which in the episode, she's like, this is much better for me because I can touch what he's touched. And when people touch something, they leave vibrations on mm-hmm. an object. So if it hasn't been too long, I can touch it and I can sense their vibrations and it helps me connect to them. And then I can start to see where they are. Mm-hmm. So she goes in and she starts touching like the pucules. Pool cues. (laughs) And she's touching them all. And she sees more gators. And she sees the bridge and the the box again. Mm -hmm. But this time she sees, she senses the number seven. She just keeps saying seven, 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 seven Mm -hmm. all over again. And she also sees like an old bridge. And she's like, that bridge. We need to go to that bridge. But during this time, she senses something else that she didn't sense the first time. Which is she feels cold. And she realizes that Andre's dead now. Mm-hmm. So if she's right, they're not looking for a missing person anymore. They're looking for a body. The police had already searched the men's apartment, like I said, but they didn't realize that a few days before that, they had been evicted from their old apartment and they took all their stuff and moved to a new apartment and they had searched their new apartment where they were living currently. Mm-hmm. But they go back to the old apartment where they had been evicted from and the manager's like, sure, you can come in. And she lits her in, and there's a huge blood stain right in the middle of the carpet. Uh-huh. 
And they test the blood, and it turns out to be Andre. The apartment number is number seven. Oh, gosh. How crazy. Wow. Yeah. When they come back and they're like, look, we found this blood. It It's Andre's. We know it, he was in that apartment. Gervais agrees to lead the police to the body. They're like, fine. It was us. We killed them. Mm-hmm. And he leads them to the body in a swamp area. The dump site was right by the Interstate 7 sign, near railroad tracks and under a bridge. Oh, my gosh. Inside of a box under the bridge mm-hmm. was Andre's body. So what had happened was the men bludgeoned him in the apartment and Ugh. put him in the box, mm-hmm. still alive, but he didn't, like, wake up in the box. He, he bled to death, and they dumped him by the bridge. So the first time, either she couldn't sense it or he was still alive in that box. Yeah. So their motive, I wrote, was ultimately the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> so their motive, they finally give up the name of the girl, Thelma. <laughs> Her name is Thelma Miller. And they were like, we're going to join the mafia. These two dudes and this girl, Thelma, were like, let's join the mafia. Oh, my gosh. Because the mafia wants you guys. <laughs> but then they were like, well, we haven't killed anyone, though. So maybe we should kill someone. That way the mafia knows we're real. So for Days, Thelma sat at a bar and waited for a guy to pick her up, who just happened to be Andre, mm. and their whole plan the whole time was to kill him, dump him under a bridge. They were like, wow. this will be the perfect crime, and then we'll join the mafia. <laughs> what the fuck? Why I do know. you even want to join That's the so mafia? Stupid. Like, in what? In New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Is there even a mafia? <laughs> I didn't even know there was a mafia in New Orleans. So stupid. They go on to trial. And Rosemary becomes the first psychic to ever testify on a murder case on trial. And all three of them get sentenced to life in prison without parole. And it's so cute because at the end, Rosemary's like, you know, people keep saying you did such a good job, but I didn't do anything. He did a good job at leading me and the family did a good job at calling me. And even Captain Gallagher's like, I didn't believe in psychics, but she did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And she was like, the police did an amazing job because they believed me. Aww. And it was like so cute. I was yeah. like, oh my God. And at the end, this voice comes on and he was like, I guess this was just Wrong place at the wrong time. And I was like, wow, way to ruin the episode. You could have just left it. You could have left it at a great ending. Nope. (sighs) They never Yeah, they just had to ruin it. They had to cap it with that. I was like, well, now it's cheesy. Yeah. But, alas, that was it. Yeah. She did it. Yeah. What I thought it was, was there's another case where Mm -hmm. this guy, he's lost. And the cops are like, they couldn't find his car. So they were like, eh, he probably just took the car and left. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I can't remember if he, maybe he didn't live in that town or like, for some reason it made sense that he would have just left. Uh Uh-huh. For some reason. And what happens is a psychic comes in and she's like, no, he's not dead. He didn't leave. He got in a car accident and he's still alive in his car. And this is like four days later. Uh Uh-huh. And eventually after like two weeks, they finally listen to her and they lead her into the mountains and she finds him and he's alive. He's alive? Yeah, he's alive. She finds him alive. And I thought that was this episode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, he's dead. I guess that's not (laughs) Nope. So, but that's a great episode. It's called, I looked up the name. It's season two, episode one. It's called like, um, I don't know, something (laughs) cheesy, like the long abandoned road or like Mm -hmm. the lost, you know, something like that. Taken on the road. I don't know. Something. <laughs> something highly dramatic. This the, the reenactments are, most of it is straight to the camera, the cops and the family and everyone talking. 
And then they just have, like, these flashbacks. And sometimes it's the actual cops and in, her. Yes, I love it's it like, when they're yeah, actually yeah. in so it. So sometimes it's them, but <laughs> other times it's not them. Like, when they're just talking, like, when they're in the bar and she's feeling the the pool cues and everything Mm -hmm. it's actually her and the cop yeah but then when she gets the call and she's like springing into action it's not her but they didn't get an actress close enough to her to play her yeah so it's like you're like what's happening change it yeah and it's like it kind of makes sense because it's a long time ago like had they left it just the actress you could believe like okay this is what she looked like 10 years ago but that the fact that then it's her that's the, so funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's really great. It's yeah. pretty great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then like, they just, it's the kind of thing where every, every actor and actress is way too pretty to play. Like, they're like. Normal people. Yeah. yeah. They have to, I don't know, at one point, the actual cop, Captain Gallagher is like, the bartender said it was a pretty brunette. And then it flashes to the bartender and she's like, she's gorgeous. Because the mm-hmm. actress they got to play her is like this gorgeous, tall, skinny brunette. And like, mm-hmm. Thelma's just like a normal pretty brunette like yeah. she's fine she's normal <laughs> but she's not like a gorgeous so like had this gorgeous actress come in and she was like yeah she was pretty yeah and i'm like what she's beautiful <laughs> so so the bartender's like oh my god she's so pretty i could definitely put and it's yeah. like well yeah you have to say that because this girl is clearly like a fucking model <laughs> and then the girl they got to play the mistaken identity girl it's just Clearly that same actress, but they only showed her from behind. (laughs) (laughs) So they don't show her face. It's like, oh, it wasn't her. It's like, that's funny. You couldn't afford another one. So it's just like, we'll use you twice. same one. (laughs) It's great. I love that show. Some people hate bad reenactments, and I I love love bad reenactments. I've never, so I think it's hilarious that there's a show called Psychic Investigators and a show called Psychic Detectives, Mm -hmm. and it's the same exact thing, basically. But I haven't watched Psychic Investigators. I should do it. You should. That's um. So do you remember when we did our hometown murders and I talked about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the serial killer and how mm-hmm. the local psychic helped with it? That's an episode of Psychic Investigators. <gasps> I'll have to watch. She's it. in it. Yeah, the actual psychic yeah. is in it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'll take a peek. <laughs> <laughs> this is your co-host Austin here to tell you a little bit about Studio. Studio is a headphone company based in Sweden that offers revolutionary wireless headphones that deliver high-quality audio. As a picky musician and music enthusiast with a busy schedule, I love that their Regent model is portable and has over 24 hours of battery life. They connect to any device with Bluetooth, but they can also be connected to a standard auxiliary cord. Studio offers several different earbud models as well, and right now you can use the code HIGHHORROR that's H-I-G-H-H-O-R-R-O-R, to get 15% off any purchase with free shipping worldwide. Visit studio.com to use the code HIGHHORROR and get your pair now. So I'm going to tell you the story of Ella Maud Cropsey, known as Nell. Ella is such a good name. And Snell Newman. Not a great name. Not as good as Ella. (laughs) No. Snell sounds like, um, you know, his pants are too short and he wears button downs, but they're t-shirts, which is never a good look. Sorry, men. Men are always like, but it's comfortable. And it is. I I know why you wear the button down t-shirt, but it's never going to look good on any guy. No. It's always going to look like you need to do taxes immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Ella Maud Cropsey, who is more often than not referred to as Nell, 
was born in July of 1882 in Brooklyn, New York. She had three siblings, but was closest to her older sister by one year, Olive, nicknamed Ollie. Olive and Ella. <laughs> Olive. Uh. <laughs> Olive and Ella, yes. I wonder if she looked like your dog. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably. And your dogs, by the way, I pulled up and they ran right for my car. I think oh, I had to really? open the car doors and go, get away, I'm still moving. Yeah, they're... They're fearless. Yeah, and then they eventually <laughs> walked away, but they looked at me like, what the fuck? Why is she yelling? So I parked and they ran up to my door and I was like, yeah. I'm going to hit you next time. <laughs> like, I thought they'd just run away when I got close enough, but I stopped and Olive's face was like, on my light. I think they're just at that age where they don't care yeah, anymore. like, I guess I'll try this. Yeah. And it's never happened before, so I guess I can just run right to it and it'll yeah. just stop. <laughs> they're testing you. Yeah. In 1898... The Cropsey family moved from New York to Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where they purchased a large home that they named Seven Pines. Question, though. Isn't it, this is off topic, but isn't it weird that Cropsey is also the weird Long Island killer? Yes. That's what that makes me think Yeah, of, it is not weird. Related. Huh. No, not related. Okay. Seven Pines sat opposite a row of houses that were on the edge of the Pasquotank, Pasquotank River. There we go. Sounds beautiful. Right? <laughs> Nell was considered very beautiful and was locally known as Beautiful Nell Cropsey. <laughs> uh, good they, nickname. They cut to the chase. Yeah, they were like, names. I guess we'll just call her beautiful. Yeah. We don't need to run around there. <laughs> she had shiny brown hair, dark eyebrows, full lips, and captivating blue eyes. Around the time Nell was 17, she began dating a local man named James Wilcox, known as Jim. Ollie had also found a beau named Roy Crawford. Jim was the son of the sheriff and was, as many locals observed, an odd match for Nell. He was about five foot two inches in height, with ears that protruded slightly from the sides of his head, and he sported a well-groomed mustache. And well, his, there you go. And his hair sat far back on his head. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Maybe he had a great heart. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> he was 22 at the time, five years older than Nell. Jesus. <laughs> she is young. She is too young to be caught up with any bow. <laughs> yes, she is young. Jim worked at a shipyard called Heyman's Marine Railways, where he was known as a hard worker. Nell was eager to be married to Jim, but he seemed to Why? most to be uninterested in marriage. What? Why? Why? Because it's the 1800s. But he doesn't sound like a catch. It's not like no, he's a handsome he's man. She's like, I need to nope. catch. But she's so pretty, you'd think she'd have lots of Oh, she she probably did contenders. have lots of But suitors. I guess there was something about Something about something Jim. Something about Jim. Yeah. By 1901, the couple had been dating for two years with no sign of Jim planning a proposal. The couple began seeing each other less and less, though Jim would occasionally still show up at Seven Pines to see Nell. On the night of November 20th, 1901, Jim and several other guests were socializing at Seven Pines with the Cropsey family. Some who were present reported that Nell and Jim had had a loud argument, but had made up by the end of the night. Nell's parents had gone to bed and were asleep upstairs at around 11 p.m. when Jim decided to leave for the night. He asked Nell to walk him to the front porch. Ugh. Ollie... Jim, let that girl alone. <laughs> Ollie, being the older sister, was Nell's unofficial chaperone and would usually escort the couple so that they would not be left alone. Yeah, can't leave them boning time. No. Or they'll just bone. <laughs> However, on this night, 
And for this one particular instance, Ollie let Nell walk Jim to the porch alone. <sighs> Stupid bitch. <laughs> Just kidding, Ollie. You're beautiful. <laughs> Shortly after Jim and Nell exited the house, Ollie was saying goodnight to Roy when they heard a loud bang. Ollie was immediately worried, and Roy promised to check out the situation and to tell Nell to come back inside. Upon searching the porch, however, Roy found no trace of Nell and told Ollie that her sister was not there. Ollie flew into a panic and rushed to hers and Nell's shared bedroom, but Nell was not there either. Ollie calmed herself by rationalizing that Nell was still somewhere on the property, conversing with Jim. Ollie feared that... What, they go in a bush? <laughs> where, where would she possibly be? Ollie feared that if she awoke her parents, that they would blame her lack of supervision for her sister's disappearance. Were they wrong? <laughs> Ollie told herself that Nell was fine and that she would slip into the bedroom at any moment, so she went to sleep. Ollie was awoken by the sounds of commotion in the house just hours later. A neighbor had come to the house to tell Mr. Cropsey that he had seen someone trying to steal the family's pig. Ollie roused herself and noticed that Nell's bed was still completely untouched from the night before. Mm. She quickly dressed and rushed downstairs. She's probably still conversing with Jim mm, in yeah, the right. bush. Through all the shouting and commotion, she alerted her parents and brother that Nell had not come home last night. The family turned their attention to searching yeah. frantically well, for let's Nell. Well, the pig. <laughs> the pig, we can yeah. wait. We can, we can wait for the pig. But Nell was nowhere to be found. The only sign that Nell and Jim had been there at all was Jim's umbrella propped by the front door. It had been a gift from Nell to Jim just months earlier. That's a bad gift. Back then it was a good gift. Yeah, I guess so. What are you going to give him? On November 21st, 1901, the search for Nell Cropsey was launched across town. Some gossiped that Nell and Jim had run away to elope secretly, but this theory was disproven when Jim was found at his parents' home and Nell was not with him. Yeah, also... The guy who never wants to marry doesn't seem like all of a sudden he's going to be like, let's elope. I just can't wait anymore. Jim was interrogated and claimed that on the porch of Seven Pines, he had told Nell that he was ending their relationship. He claimed to have returned to her the umbrella and a picture of her that he had in his possession. He said that the last time he saw Nell, she was weeping on the front porch around 11.15 p.m. Such a dick. He had stopped at a local bar and had a drink with a friend before returning home and going to sleep sometime before midnight. The authorities never believed his story. For one, the timeline was unrealistic. For Jim to have such a delicate conversation with Nell, get to the bar, sit down and have a beer, and then make it back to the Wilcox home in less than 45 minutes... The second reason... <laughs> he was just like, okay, bye, here's yeah, your stuff back, like, and then he raced to the bar. He chugged a chugged beer. Chugged beer and then raced back. He's like, this is great, I'm getting everything done. Yeah. The second reason authorities didn't believe Jim was that the picture he claimed to have returned to Nell was never recovered. Where's the picture, Jim? Right. God, get it together. <laughs> Jim's story left the police with more questions than answers, which made him the prime suspect in Nell's disappearance. Mm. I told him. I said, let that girl alone, and he didn't believe me. He didn't listen. <laughs> because fry. <laughs> because of this, Wilcox was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping, which led rumors to run through every corner of Elizabeth City. Is that something they can do now? Arrest someone on sp- oh, yeah. suspicion of kidnapping? Yeah. Oh, I guess because if it's kidnapping, 
they could still be alive. Yes. It's like time sensitive. Mm-hmm. One man claimed to have seen Jim carrying the dead body of a woman on the night of her disappearance. What the fuck? The police were able to disprove this story. <laughs> when did he come about with this? <laughs> right? Only after he was arrested. Three weeks later. Oh, you know what? I did see a man carrying, carrying a, a dead body. Yeah. That could... I wonder if that's it. Police received an anonymous letter from someone who claimed to have witnessed Nell interrupting a man who was trying to steal the Cropsey's pig and that the man had knocked her unconscious before putting her in a boat and rowing away. Also, where was this person? Yeah, right. Who saw this? When did they see that? Where were they? In a coma for weeks? (laughs) The Cropsey family began to lose hope that Nell would come home alive. None of her belongings had been taken, and she had no reason to run away from home. Two weeks later, the local paper published a letter written by William Cropsey, Nell's father. The letter read... The police officials and citizen committee have done all human agency could do to restore my daughter without success. I never expect to see her this side of the great eternity. I shall always believe James Wilcox instrumental in my daughter's disappearance. If dead, I believe his hand or his hireling responsible. Sometime when this life shall cease and we shall stand before the presence of the great judge, I believe we shall learn how and when he murdered my daughter and that the justice he may escape will be dealt with then. Signed, W.H. Cropsey. That's sad. The family felt they were out of traditional options. So they reached out to a local spiritualist named... I forgot what this episode was about. Right? There's a psychic coming. Named Madame Snell Newman. That's a name. (laughs) (laughs) Snell. Snell. Well, it's funny because we have a Snell and a Nell. Yeah. Well, maybe it was her in a wig. (laughs) No, it's me. Snell. (laughs) Newman agreed to work with the family and immediately sensed that Nell was dead and that Jim was her murderer. On December 6th, she was invited to explore Seven Pines, and once she was on the property, she was able to explain the last few hours of Nell's life. Newman wandered the home, reciting events as she saw them unfold. When in the dining room, Newman identified where Jim had been sitting and even what position he had been in, in a rocking chair resting his chin on both of his hands. I have no idea what that looks like, but... Like like a little kid who wants to leave. Exactly. (laughs) She said that Nell had been seated next to him. Ollie confirmed that Newman was correct. Newman noted that Nell had switched seats at some point to be closer to the stove. At this point, Newman seemed to almost be channeling Jim and going through the motions as if she were him and Ollie was Nell. Newman got up and walked to the hall, checked her watch, and put a hand on Ollie's shoulder and said, Don't go away to New York. Come out on the porch and we'll talk it over. Ollie remembered Jim saying something of this nature to Nell, who had been planning a trip to New York for Thanksgiving that month. Newman and Ollie walked to the front porch and talked as Jim and Nell before Newman came out of her trance. She claimed to have heard a long, low whistle and had seen a Dayton wagon near the gate. Next to the wagon, she had seen a man who was not Jim, one of, quote, spare build and non-distinct features. This man helped Jim seize Nell and wrap her in cloth before putting her into the wagon and driving off. Newman suggested that chloroform may have been used to subdue Nell. Newman and several others recreated the drive. They got into a wagon and set off on a route that Newman recreated from her visions. 
Others followed the group out of town and into Pasquotank County. She had seen some indications that Jim and his accomplice may have thrown Nell's body down an old well. They found two wells that matched her description, but neither contained a body. Newman told investigators that Jim murdered Nell out of jealousy. He was finally ready to marry her, but he was concerned that if she went to New York that Thanksgiving, she would lose interest in him and find someone else. Well, why not just ask her to marry you? Yeah, right? Then you could go to New York with her. Stupid sure. idea. I don't think he wanted to go to New York. <laughs> well, it's just for Thanksgiving. It's just right. a vacation. She wasn't like, I'm going to move to New York to it's be a with long, all my lovers. It's a long drive at that point. It's like yeah, a whole thing. Still. Or have a little trust there, Jim. <laughs> Instead of being rejected by the woman he had kept waiting, he kills her to prevent the embarrassment and heartache of another man having her. The day ended after a 25-mile search, but no body was found. Newman described the bottom of a well where she saw Nell's body laying, but she could not focus in on the location. On the 27th of December, a local fisherman named J.D. Stillman spotted something large floating in the Pesquotank River, very close to where Newman's search had brought a crowd weeks before. He rowed his boat toward it and recovered the lifeless body of Nell Cropsey. Mm. Though the river had been searched several times in the 37 days Nell had been missing, no one had found the body prior. An empty whiskey bottle, which a local clerk remembered selling to Jim, was found on the riverbank. It was also noted that the body was in good condition and did not look as though Nell had been dead for a week, much less over a month. A lynch mob formed and sought out Jim, but William Cropsey dispersed them, pleading with the angry townspeople to let the justice system deal with Jim. Oh, good Cropsey. All notions of Jim having an accomplice, as Newman had suggested, vanished. Nell's autopsy was performed publicly at Seven Pines. I know, right? There wasn't a lot to do back then. Yeah, but I wouldn't (laughs) want to go see an autopsy. Their doctors... (laughs) I would. Yeah, you would. (laughs) Their doctors determined that Newman had been right. Nell was killed by a single blow to the head before being put into the river, and the body showed cuts and bruises that could very well have been the result of her being dragged after she was rendered unconscious. Nell's body was sent to New York to be buried in the family plot where William Cropsey's brother arranged for her funeral. Jim Wilcox was tried twice for the murder. The first time ended in a mistrial. During the trial, Jim was asked why he did not aid in the search for Nell when she was missing. Told the court that if he had been the one to find her, people would say that it was because he had known where she was all along and he would be blamed. At the second trial, he was found guilty and convicted to 30 years imprisonment. But, ten years later, rumors began to circulate that Jim's family connections were attempting to parole him early. Jim had maintained his innocence for a decade, and the public had lost their anger towards him. The thought of Jim's early parole sent William Cropsey Jr., Nell's brother, into a spiral. He believed that Jim's parole was likely, and he was devastated by the thought of it. So he drank a bottle of poison one night in 1913. William Jr.'s suicide made headlines and quashed any chance at Jim being paroled. Two years later, in 1915, support for Jim's release grew when he was diagnosed with tuberculosis, but the governor of North Carolina refused to grant him parole. Finally, in 1918, Jim Wilcox was released on Christmas Eve after serving half his sentence. Jim boldly returned to Elizabeth City, where he resumed his life before he met Nell. The townspeople were suspicious of him, but eventually accepted him back for the remainder of his life, 
which ended when he shot himself in the head in 1934. Shortly before his death, Jim had given an interview with W.O. Saunders, the editor of the Elizabeth City newspaper. In this interview, Jim supposedly divulged everything he knew about Nell's murder. After the interview, Saunders was convinced that Jim was innocent, and he planned to publish the interview. It was only two weeks after the two talked that Jim took his own life and Saunders died in a car accident. Ooh. The interview was never published. Though Jim was convicted of Nell's murder, many still consider the case to be unsolved. Nell's death sent shockwaves throughout the lives of everyone close to her. Aside from William Jr.'s suicide, Roy Crawford also ended his life in 1908 with a shotgun. Jesus. Wait, Roy Crawford was Ollie's, Ollie's... boyfriend. Huh. Some say that Roy did this out of guilt, and he may have been the accomplice yeah, Newman saw in her seems visions. suspicious. Yeah. Ollie lived a reclusive life until her death in 1944. Did she ma- end up marrying Will or Roy or no? No, because he only died a few years after. Gotcha. Yeah. According to family members, she never forgave herself for not chaperoning Nell that night. Nell's mother, Mary, lost her mind after Nell's murder and died in an asylum years later. Seven Pines still stands in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, but is now simply known as 1109 Riverside Avenue. The house is said to be haunted, and several occupants have reported seeing a woman dressed in white roaming the halls at night. Unexplainable sounds occur often, and electrical issues plague the inhabitants. Nell's ghost has also been seen walking along the riverbank where her body was found and staring towards the river from the front porch of the home. The house is a private residence and is currently Mm. occupied, but on occasion, the owners open it up to the public (gasps) for special events, including the annual Elizabeth City Ghost Walk. Let's go! Oh my god, that sounds amazing! A ghost walk? A ghost walk. Let's go. You should get married there also. <laughs> it's It seems like a big, large plantation, but it's not. It's like a, a, a house. It's a big house, but it's in a neighborhood. How fun. Do you think he did it or no? I think he did it, but I, I think there was an accomplice too. I think Roy was the accomplice. He has to have something to do with well, it. Because- and the thing is, he left right after Yeah, them, that's weird. You know? And like, you wouldn't... Like, I understand the brother taking his life, but the boyfriend of a it's girl strange. who's... Unless he was romantically involved with Nell, but back then people didn't just fuck. Mm-hmm. So it's like they would have known they were involved because you would see them dating. Like, someone yeah. would have been like, yeah, I saw them all the time together. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like Nell and Roy were particularly close. Yeah, it's it was not... just like, you're dating my sister, okay. So I feel like he had to know something about it. Yeah. Like, when he went out to check, he had to have seen something or helped him... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if he didn't plan on being a compass, when he went out to check the bang, maybe he was like, get her on the cart. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, like, okay. and Jim could have been like, listen, my dad's the sheriff. Yeah. If you don't help me, I'm going to tell everyone. Yeah, you I'm going to pin it. it on you. Yeah. And he was just like, fine. Mm-hmm. But I mean. And also, I did a little bit of research about Wells. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it seemed weird that she got so much right except the well. Yeah. And... It, they said it was an old well, and they're near a river, which means that the well could possibly feed into one of the branches of the river. Yeah. So if she was dumped in the well, she could have, if it was big enough, somehow made her way into yeah. the river. And that would explain why they searched it and there was no body before. But I don't know how it would explain the preservation. See, what I was thinking is maybe he put her in the well 
and then found out the psychic was like, she's in a well, and then he took her out. And being in a well saved her from being eaten by anything over the hot sun. You know, you're constantly shaded and in a cool, wet area. Mm -hmm. So, like, she wouldn't have decayed as much because it's so cold down in a well, Mm -hmm. especially if it was deep. That would be if she wasn't in the water. You know, like they don't well, say a lot that of she wells was all are, bloated and. Well, a lot of wells are dried up though. Yeah. Like well, it could have been could a dried, be. You're cool right. well mm-hmm. that she was at the bottom of. And so, that would, that and would so help. he took her out. Yeah, he could have. And then was like, I'll just throw her in the river mm-hmm. because they're going to be searching wells now. Yes. You know, um, the logical next step. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I was the killer would be, oh, well now they're going to start searching wells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Is that crazy? That is crazy. <laughs> wow, how terrible. Yeah. I mean, I also, I don't understand why people are like, ooh, unsolved murder. It's like, no, I think he did it. <laughs> I think he did it. Yeah. I think he did too. But there is, I think it's just like, it's unsolved because it's not 100%. You know Yeah. I mean? It's kind of like John Bonet Ramsey. I consider that an unsolved murder, but. We, we know, know it's the brother. The, yeah, we know the family did it. Yeah. Like, we know an intruder didn't come in and kill her. Let's be honest. Yeah. So. The family did it. I can't wait. Not I can't wait. That sounds awful. <laughs> Once he dies, I wonder if. He'll confess on his he, death. On his death. Yeah, or, or like if the father, when he's dying, will say something. Or if maybe, because I'm not 100% that the son did it by himself. Like, mm-hmm. But I think the father knows something, and the father's scary, and he pays for everything for what's-his-face mm-hmm. Patrick, or no. Burke? Burke. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if when the father dies, if Burke might be like, oh, this is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or he could just try to pin it up. on the father after right. he's dead, you know? But maybe the father did it. Yeah. I mean, they didn't try to pin things on Patsy when she died, though. Yeah, but no one's going to believe Patsy murdered her. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't believe that if he was like, well, actually, Patsy did it. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, she did the whole, she's a real mastermind. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, I never heard of that case. And yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We got pig snatching. Yeah, who took the pig? <laughs> no one the... knows. Everyone <laughs> forgot about that pig. <laughs> like, did someone actually snatch it? Was it? Or, like, maybe the way he transferred the body, it looked like a pig snatching. Could have been. Or did someone just happen to also steal a pig the night that someone died? Could have been. I mean, I think it was a few hours after. Like, it was in the early morning because the neighbor was like, I killed her daughter, so now I'm going to steal her (laughs) pigs. (laughs) Well, because the neighbor was like, I saw someone trying to steal your pig. Yeah. So... Like, I mean, I it could be unrelated. I didn't stop them or anything, mm-hmm. but they were trying. Trying like they did it or trying like they tried to pick it up and were like, whoo, pigs are heavy. And then they <laughs> left. Like, this pig just won't be led away. Yeah. <laughs> he will not follow me for nothing. <laughs> I just... have mud all over my pockets and he will not come. <laughs> yeah. No. He, so... They just wanted truffles. They were like, I need this pig to find me truffles. <laughs> That's I, I'll bring it back. I'll, I mean, I just need it for the one thing. Unless I'm in the mood for ribs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm addicted to shuffles. I can't help it. So, that, that is... Pig. That's the story of Nell Cropsey yeah. and, and Snell, Snell. Newman. <laughs> Snelly and Nelly. Yeah. Snell and Nell. <laughs> they could have been a good girl group together. <laughs> could you imagine if she found her alive and then... She somehow got psychic oh. abilities too. <laughs> Say they fell in love and had a psychic family. That would have been that a great be ending. Fun. 
yeah, like eighteen or nineteen oh one. That would have yep. been a real good 1901. ending. Uh. <laughs> so those are our psychic stories. Psychics are fascinating. Yeah. I want to be one. Also, I don't want to be one. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of terrifying. Yeah, to all, constantly. Like, I mean, I guess it depends on what level of psychic you are. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing dead people sounds cool, but I'm sure it gets old real fast. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's annoying. But, like, touching things and feeling them, that mm-hmm. would be kind of cool. Yeah. But unless I couldn't control it and I constantly, every time I, like, sat on a chair, I was like, oh, my God, who sat here last? Mm-hmm. Then I wouldn't like that. Yeah. But I feel like you have to have a way to block it off. Yeah, you have to be able to... Open and close yourself. Tune it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just like any other business. (laughs) You gotta have closing times. Well, Well, that's it. We are Hell and High Horror Mm -hmm. on everything but Twitter. On Twitter, we're Hell High Horror. I'm Austin Costelli on everything except Tumblr. On there, I'm Witch Tips. I'm Reparata Hattersley. I'm Reparata and on everything. On everything. You know, I was talking talking to uh, one of my friends from class and this podcast came up and she's like what's the name and i was like hell and high horror and she's like do you guys get high and i was like no <laughs> no but that would be get... a good format <laughs> i'll get crack for next time <laughs> but i was like wow what a great pun if we got super high and yes. then also did it <laughs> that would it would play in hell and high horror <laughs> yeah it's like man no we... that would be if we watched horror movies while high that would be great and just recorded it then well... it'd just be us going wow man <laughs> yeah. she gonna die That'll be in January when weed is legal in New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because we're not rule breakers. No. (laughs) We don't do anything illegal ever. No. Okay. We have a Patreon. Yes. And on our Patreon, we publish a news episode every month. And to get that, all you have to do is donate $1 a month. Mm -hmm. That's $12 a year, which is like, I don't know, a fancy sandwich. Yeah. (laughs) So. Or like. Two cups of Starbucks coffee. Yeah. Something like that. It's minuscule yeah, is our yeah, yeah. point. It's like a Kmart t-shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could go to patreon.com slash Helen mm-hmm. uh, to check that out and become one of our patrons. Yay. Please send us your scary yes. stories, your murder and your paranormal stories mm-hmm. to Helen at gmail.com. Ooh. <coughs> Bless you. Oh, I got it out just in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Yep. Um, we will talk to you next week. Yes. Okay. Happy hauntings, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.